This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This is Scott from California. When I'm not hiking at national parks, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and who hasn't wanted a money tree right in their own backyard? Today, we welcome a guy who knows income-producing investments, the CEO of Granite Shares, Mr. Will Rhine. Plus, is Wells Fargo pausing customer mortgage payments without their knowledge? It can't be! Well, we'll talk details during our headline segment. Later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to the hysterical Derek, seriously, this guy's a hoot, to unpack his insurance dilemma, and of course, I'll still find time for my thought-provoking trivia. And now, two guys who can't figure out where the basement's actually at... Joe and O G. Well, for now, as far as Doug knows, we are in an undisclosed location. Hey, everybody, welcome back to a new week on the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And here to be the meter and greeter in this year podcast, just like you're walking into your neighborhood friendly Walmart. It's Mr. OG. What's up? Do you smile and wave? Or are you like, get out of my store? If I was a Walmart creator? Yes. Oh, I would be the, the employee of the month, every month, obviously. You'd look at every person going, don't steal from me. Don't steal from me. Don't steal from me. Make it snappy, folks. <laughs> get in, get out. No sense lounging around. Don't touch anything. <laughs> Another thing you don't want to lounge around on, OG, is your student loans. Big thanks to Student Loan Hero for supporting Stacking Benjamins. You know, when it comes to your student loans, the goal now, get those things repaid as quickly as possible. Or if you're somebody, unfortunately, like a lot of people, have lost their job, well, you need to know how deferment programs are working and things are changing quickly. So whether you're ready to pay off your student loans or you need more help, Student Loan Hero is there to help. Head to studentloanhero.com for more. We got a great show today. We're going to talk about setting your portfolio up for income, something that we don't talk about hardly ever here. This is a brand new, brand new area for us. Will Rhine, who is uh, the CEO of Granite Shares, going to join us and talk about income in the portfolio. They also have a gold fund OG, so I'm going to see if we can ask him about uh, this soaring price of gold. And uh, will the price plummet? I like trying to use the word soar and plummet as often as possible when talking about investing. It's a much better descriptor of what actually happens, especially in gold prices. <laughs> well, and there's no roller coasters 
open. Uh, well, there's a few roller coasters open, but not that many. So we have to, uh, you know, we got to compensate for people that just want a roller coaster ride. How about a roller coaster ride with your money or not? We're hoping not, but we've got some great headlines to kick off today's show. So let's get this thing started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Well, here's some interesting news for your Monday. This comes to us from the Washington Post, and it's written by Michelle Singletary. Michelle says, illegal pyramid schemes are on the rise during the pandemic. Did you see this, OG? I didn't, but it makes sense. It totally does. Eliza Briscoe was told all she had to do was put up 500 bucks and bring in two additional people who would each contribute the same amount of money. In a little more than four weeks, she was going to get $4,000 in return. <laughs> what could go wrong there? Like so many others being recruited for a SUSU, as it's called, Briscoe was nearly duped into a pyramid scheme. Michelle writes, it's hard not to be sold on the altruistic and cultural backstory of the SUSU, also known as SUSU Blessing Loom or Gifting Circle. Promoters pitch the SUSU as a common practice among Caribbean and African immigrants as a way to help their businesses grow. Briscoe was told she'd be helping other black folks, some of whom may have lost their jobs because of the coronavirus. It seemed like it was legal, said the Maryland resident who reached out to me as part of her due diligence research. I didn't want to bring anybody in unless I knew for sure, because I didn't want anybody to lose their money. And the story continues about a lot of people, not just this case in the black community. By the way, just to kick this off, OG, how about doing your due diligence by writing Michelle Singletary? Yeah. It's like sending an email to uh, editor at WSJ.com. Right. Well, not even that. I mean, somebody like Michelle, it's like calling up Gene Chatsky going, hey, yeah. Gene, what do you think about this annuity I was offered? But this- Too bad that uh, this stuff is rearing its ugly head again, or still, I guess. It's one of those things where you just kind of shake, shake your head and say, I mean, it can't possibly make sense logically, but it must work because people are getting suckered into it. And you know what's funny? We sit and we make fun of schemes like this, OG, but, but I would think that it would not be that difficult, especially somebody struggling to tell them that this is a good deal. I mean, it sounds like, hey, everybody's putting money in. And then as new people put money in, we pay out these sums to people that were on the front. Trying to help other people. It's a good story. You're trying to get a little bit back in return. Sounds like a good story. And the people that generally are involved in this are ones that are needing, you know, like kind of the magic to happen. You know, you don't hear about Elon Musk losing $17 million in a pyramid scheme. You hear about people who have, they're down to their last 500 bucks and they lose that money. And so that makes it a special kind of hell for the people that put this stuff together. Although you do, do hear about Barbara Corcoran having her mortgage oh, yeah, right. yeah. money go sideways. That's, that's a whole different scam. But, it's but, a different kind of fraud. Yeah, but it is. <laughs> it is fishing where the fish are. <laughs> that is right. You're going to do some, you're going to do wire fraud. I mean, don't do it for 500 bucks, guys. Do it for like 32 million or whatever her deal was. Why are you ripping off these people that need something magical to happen? You're ripping them off for 500 bucks. Yeah, go rip off Barbara. Just using Barbara as an example. Barbara, we love you. We don't want you to get ripped off. Are there some general things to do when you hear something like that that seems too good to be true? It seems like reaching out to Michelle Singletary was a great idea. Find somebody you know who knows money and ask them about it. Sure. I think that's a good first step. I mean, if they do any of this through 
other methods. If you get a letter in the mail, if you get a phone call, now you can start expanding, you know, the fraud basically and start involving other people in this. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's, it's probably a crime to be doing that through mail. So I think that you should get the police involved and let the postal inspectors sort through it. If they, if they're calling you, I think that you get the police involved and let the FCC get involved and, and let them go after it. It's, it's, um, you know, I think if it's, you see it on social media, I think you have to report it because that's probably where a lot of this stuff is, is coming from. And listen, if it sounds, if it sounds too good to be true, it is, there's no such thing in the world whereby you put in 500 bucks and magically three weeks later you get 4,000. It, it just, it just doesn't exist. It does not happen. In fact, it's funny, even our guest today, Will, talking back and forth ahead with him, talking about some extraordinary returns in bonds. And I'm incredibly skeptical. I can't wait to talk to him because he's got quite a pedigree. He knows what he's talking about. He's a professional, not in the business, so it seems, of uh, mm -hmm. promising and under-delivering. So I can't wait to even talk about that. Like I hear anything that reeks of 10%. I think, yeah, nah. yeah, not good. By the way, on a whole different note, OG, Check out who called me today. It's, it, it sounds like I must be in trouble. Speaking of, well, let's just play it. Pretty number on an immediate basis, as we have received suspicious trails of information in your name and social security number. The moment you receive this message, I need you to get back to me on my department division number that is 617-213-1585. I repeat 617 213-1585. Now, if I don't hear a call from you, we will have to issue an arrest warrant under your name and get you arrested. So, get back to me as soon as possible. Thank you. Thank you. So I don't have to issue an arrest warrant for you. It seems that they're after me, OG. They're after me. Because I don't know if, if you know only this. Knew. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. They send RoboCop after you. The IRS has RoboCop who Those comes explain after you. a lot of the travel that you've gone through lately. <laughs> it is. I'm up Under here. The, the guys of moving across the country <laughs> like Bonnie and Clyde over there. I'm here in the middle of the green. Oh, did I say where I'm at? Never mind. I'm in uh, Connecticut. I'm in Connecticut. So bad. I got that this morning. The funny part was. I was on a different phone call and I saw Newton, Massachusetts. And I thought, oh, well, Massachusetts, there's a bunch of financial companies. Maybe it's Will, our guest, calling in. I don't know. So I, uh, I luckily let it go to voicemail and they were nice enough to leave us one. So big thanks, big thanks to the IRS before they arrest me. Give me a shot to return that call. I think you should. <laughs> should we? Yeah. Okay. I do. I think you should call it back and, and, and record it. Please hold while I... They hung up on me. Oh. Okay, let's try again. Must not be that important. Please hold while I try to... Thank you for calling Social Security Administration. How may I help you? Hi, I got a call from you about, uh, about my Social Security. Uh, what happened to your Social Security, sir? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I got a call saying I'd be in trouble and there'd be a warrant for my arrest if I didn't call this number. Okay, when did you receive a call? When did I receive the call? 
Yes. Oh, about uh, 10 minutes ago. 10 minutes ago. Okay, listen to me. This is Officer Frank Miller with the badge ID number 2506. May I have your first and last name, please? My name is Joe Spumalot, S-P-U-M-A-L-O-T. <laughs> I couldn't come up with a name. I didn't think about that either. I was like, I was like, oh crap! What happens when when the, I, I can I can hear you like rattling off your social? What's your social? Oh, my socials three six eight. You know, <laughs> I need your American Express card. Oh, hold on, just a second. Let me give that to you real quick. Like we didn't prep this at all. Like literally live TV. We totally should have prepped for that. All right, yeah. next next time next time I'm going to be prepared. The bad news is is that they've got a live one now. <laughs> so if I were you, I would block that phone number on your on your phone. Oh, and that's going to be good. a spam to AT and T. There's a uh, there's a way to do that. So so I, I, you can just look it up, but you text the phone number to AT and T, and they uh, I'm going to um, shut it down. They uh, they take care of it, but uh, whew. That was a legit officer, I could tell, Frank. <laughs> when he started riddling off his badge number, your badge it's like, number. It's like, hey, yeah, what's up? Uh-huh. Oh, oh, uh, uh, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, this is Officer Frank Smith. Uh, you are in serious trouble. What is your name? He totally got me on the name. Uh, our second headline Comes to us from NBC News. Uh, is it too early to talk more Wells Fargo? Is it? More Wells Fargo's customers say the bank decided to pause their mortgage payments without asking. Mortgage borrowers in 14 states have now told courts, lawyers, or NBC News they've been forced into forbearance plans by Wells Fargo without oh, asking. Nice. In March, Tammy Wilson was checking on her family's mortgage online at Wells Fargo when she saw a link of information about COVID-19 on the bank's website. After clicking through, she provided contact information so she could receive materials on programs at the bank. Days later, she said she returned to the payment page to transmit what she and her husband, David, owed on their loan. A message popped up saying she had no active accounts and couldn't make the payment. Wilson later learned what had happened. Without her knowledge, bank put her a new program that suspended payments on her federally backed loan. Known as Forbearance, it's a CARES Act program that aims to help borrowers who are having trouble making their payments because they've been hurt by COVID-19. Because she hadn't asked for forbearance, Wilson continued to make all her family's mortgage payments. She also spent hours on the phone with Wells Fargo to get out of the program. Finally, on July 1st, the bank sent her a letter confirming her request to opt out of the program she said she never opted into. Still! Wilson's credit report dated July 18th and reviewed by NBC News shows that the family mortgage is, quote, in forbearance and that the April and May payments weren't credited to the account, even though the Wilson submitted them. Well, of course, they weren't submitted to her account. They were submitted to the three checking accounts they opened for. Exactly. You didn't know this, but now you have a 529 plan, an IRA <laughs> and a uh, solo 401k. But we have no kids. That doesn't matter. Trust us. Somebody's going to be incredibly happy. How many times can one bank continually just foul things up over and over and over again. The bigger question is how many of these mistakes does it take till a customer actually leaves? The fact that anybody's with the bank anymore is just astounding to me. Like somebody tells me they're yes. with Wells Fargo. You kind of look at them side. Why? Like why? 
Really? And don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, well, getting out of a mortgage is a lot more difficult. Yes. And I think, oh, gee, there are some great people at the bank who've worked there for a long time and know what they're doing. And people have personal relationships with some of these people. So I feel bad for those people. But man, Wells Fargo, just try to stay out of the news for a week. The difference between the employees and the decision making of, you know, I, I can see how this went down, right? The senior VP of blah, 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 blah said, okay, we're going to get inundated with all these people that just, just anybody who comes in, we're just going to hit, hit them with the forbearance right away. Oh, that's a great idea. That'll save us a ton of paperwork. <laughs> Not realizing that, you know, it fouls a whole bunch of stuff up, you know, it's just, uh, yeah. What a so nightmare. Good decision-making. Yeah. So our takeaways here, OG, if you're going to try to call the scammer, think about what your damn name is. What's my stage name going to be? You got to think about that ahead of time. McLovin. Yeah. And please don't fall for these uh, pyramid schemes. Talk to somebody, at the very least, talk to somebody who knows better. There's lots of terminology that you might not know. There might be things that are legitimate that uh, could be out there as programs that you don't know exist. Just talk to somebody right. who who knows better. And then I think uh, our second takeaway is Wells Fargo. I don't know what the takeaway is. What the hell is that, that is the takeaway. It's a question mark. Yeah. Again. Wells Fargo. Well, I'm excited about this next guest because we talked earlier about too good to be true. And when you're setting up an income stream and income streams, you want to make sure that your income streams are on bedrock. If you're going to try to live on that money, Will Rind is our guest. He's the founder and CEO of Granite Shares, an exchange traded fund company headquartered in New York. He's not only a longtime ETF entrepreneur OG, but he also, before Granite Shares, he was the CEO of the Spider Gold Trust, uh, a product that you and I know very well. So let's say hello to the guy teaching us about income in your portfolio, Mr. Will Run. And on my dad's shortwave radio, it's my new fun, Will Ryan. How are you, man? I am very well, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. You told me earlier that you are back in New York City. Are you the only guy right now working in Granite Shares' actual office? Well, I'm not the only person that's working in our office. We've got uh, the, the team back here this week. Um, we might be the only team in the building because we're in a WeWork downtown where we're based. And um, it's scary, Joe. I mean, uh, looking around and there's really hardly anybody here. Um, and so other than us, there's maybe one or two companies, but on three floors, um, most people have cleared out. But and, and this isn't your expertise, Will, uh, because and I definitely want to talk about your expertise, which is finding yield. But I do want to ask you this, just as a smart guy, do you think it's ever going to go back to the way it is? Or are we going to see a big difference for the rest of our careers when it comes to office real estate? I don't think it's going to go back to the way it is or the way it was. I think that what's happening really is a mindset change. And probably, you know, the biggest thing I think that will change um, and is already changing is people have just suddenly realized that actually working from home does work and you can be quite productive. 
And, you know, you've got even major companies in the financial services sector here in New York City, I'm talking banks, other people saying that they're allowing remote working kind of for the first time. And that sort of breaks the New York City model, really, where, you know, the the point of living here and paying all of the, the high taxes and things that we do really only works where you have people um, working in the city and sort of you know forced to come in and commute but if you, if that doesn't happen anymore then i think i think that changes it yeah uh, so wh- why is the granite shares team back in the city is it the same reason i think a lot of people are going to come back sometimes so you can have face to face team meetings why specifically back in the office well, actually, the specific reason for us is that um, I just made our first ever virtual hire. I hired somebody, they started on Monday, and so I wanted to be with them in person, and it was a good time to get everybody sort of back together. So I think that's another thing that, you know, it, it's really tough because you can do a lot of things virtually, you know, working from home, but when you hire somebody, I'm not sure how, or at least I, I didn't really think about, you know, how we would be able to train somebody virtually. So it was important to me to come back in the office and you know do that personally. Well, thanks for taking a second and talking about that. I'm, I'm just fascinated by that topic, but I'm even more fascinated, Will, before we get to finding yield, just about your background. Uh, OG and I, when we were introducing that we'd be calling you here, we were talking about how you were the CEO of the Spider Gold Trust, which I was reading recently, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's it's the most profitable ETF that's out there. Tell me about that background and, and and coming from the area of precious metals in your career. Yeah, so I've been involved in the ETF business for pretty much all of my career. And I've sort of built and managed businesses in the space. And as you rightly point out, I was a CEO there for two and a half years, actually, before I set up my own company, Granite Shares. It's funny because that ETF, people forget that back in 2011, uh, there was a brief moment in time, uh, just one or two days, when it actually became the largest ETF in the world, eclipsing the Spider or the S&P 500 ETF in size. And that was, of course, at the top of the last gold peak, um, or the last you know, gold market high, which was in 2011, late 2011. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've been involved in gold and precious metals for a long time. And part of the reason why I set up Granite Shares was because I wanted to offer you know, investors, in my opinion, a better way to invest in gold. And so um, that's what I did. That's what I did. And I don't want to get in too much to the the Granite Shares Gold Fund. I think uh, we'll save that for another time. But I do want to ask this. You talk about a better way. How is the Granite Shares product, gold product, different than the Spider product? I think the two things that would probably be most relevant to people um, would be one is bar. That's our gold ETF, uh, the Granite Shares Gold Trust, where uh, more than 50% less expensive from a management fee perspective. And the actual share price is 10 times lower as well. So for example, we are backed by, you know, a share of bars backed by one hundredth of an ounce of gold. So if you think about the gold price, you know, at $2,000 roughly, you know, a share of bar would be $20 versus uh, GLD, you have that backed by a tenth of an ounce. So uh, the share would be 10 times as expensive. And that, and that kind of makes a big difference for people now with gold prices so high again, that to buy one share or buy a lot of shares is sometimes more helpful for people if it's at a lower, lower cost. Speaking of gold shares, it's so funny, Will, I'm finding all these topics that, 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 that I'm just wondering about. And, I'm a, and the reason is I'm imagining our listeners screaming at their machine, 
this question. What do you think of these? You talked about high gold prices. What do you think about the gold, the price of gold right now? I've said this many, many times. And, um, you know, I think the biggest thing that hopefully your listeners will find interesting is that this time around, if I compare this period to what happened in 2011, when gold made an all time high at that time, is for six months you know, leading up to that, when I would go on a TV show on either major network or talk to a journalist from any of those sort of financial publications, the first question I'd get asked would be, is gold a bubble? Is gold a bubble? Is gold a bubble? I think the community was kind of obsessed with this idea that gold prices were unsustainable. From that perspective, that was a big focus of the questioning. This time around, I haven't heard that once. In other words, there's no one that I am talking to that thinks that it's irrational in any way that gold prices are, are this high. I think people accept it as a consequence of you know, the monetary easing, the money printing that's been going on. I think that's kind of the biggest thing that I could say in terms of difference between last time versus now. You're saying this may be a safer place to be then than it was last time around. Well, gold is the currency of last resort. And I think you know, the playbook for what happens when we go through a crisis has now sort of been established with monetary easing, lots of stimulus from the Federal Reserve uh, and the government. From that perspective, what that does is it weakens the dollar, kind of all things being equal. Gold is kind of the ultimate hedge against the dollar. Um, so if dollar, the value of dollars are falling, typically gold just needs to remain stable in order to preserve its value. Let's transition over to the topic that we really want to talk to you about. Yeah. And, and you and I had an exchange before we, we scheduled this discussion, which I found fascinating. Whenever somebody says, as you know, Will, somebody says 10% or a higher return than 10%, Everybody, responsible people, I think, go, oh, man, I don't know. But you wrote me back and said, it's out there if you know where to look, 10%. How do you find 10% and you're not betting the farm? You're not going to the casino with that money? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a great question. When we think about producing income, what we felt was missing in the market was a strategy that provided not just a high level of income, but you know, a stable level of income as well. And there are a lot of dividend funds, a lot of uh, bond funds of various different varieties out there. And, you know, what we ended up doing is, um, this is the, the Granite Shares HIPS ETF is the ticker HIPS. And it stands for High Income Pass-Through Securities. That's the acronym. So it, it's sort of uh, quite a funny acronym in a way, but um, <laughs> right. that's what it stands for. And High Income Pass-Through Securities, people will say, well, what on earth are they? Well, a pass-through security is a listed entity that doesn't pay corporate tax. That's the big difference. So when you're getting a dividend you know, from a company, that is subject to, to corporate tax. And obviously, companies pay tax, and that sits in between what you ultimately get in terms of a dividend. Whereas for pass-through securities, they don't pay corporate tax. So examples of those kind of sectors would be REITs, real estate investment trusts, or business development companies, MLPs, or master limited partnerships, and closed-end funds. By blending these together, you know, what you're creating is a portfolio that allows a high level of income. Thus, it's one of the highest dividend yielding or highest yielding ETFs in the market. 
I want to talk about those different types of securities because I think it's important that people understand what they're getting into, as I'm sure you do. But first, one notable exception, one thing that you haven't talked about there, Will, is uh, high-yield bonds, right? A lot of people, when they think about going with a high-yield fund like HIPS is, that they would turn toward high-yield bonds. Why are they absent? Because HIPS is not a fixed income or a bond fund. So the idea here is we invest just in pass-through securities, which are equity securities. And, and I think, again, coming back to you know, why we positioned it in the way we did, what HIP sort of does is sits between you know, dividend funds, traditional dividend funds on one hand, and high-yield bond funds on the other hand. And with a high-yield bond fund, you know, just at a, at a very high level, you're investing in high-yielding uh, fixed-income securities or high-yielding bonds. But the bond ETFs out there in the market, the most common uh, or most popular ones, they're producing an income round about 5%, something like that. And you know, for something like HIPS right now, we're producing 10% or just over 10 and a quarter actually percent income. And so we tried to position it as being knowing that people have high yield bonds, this is a equity security strategy, but an alternative to traditional dividend paying ETFs that people would probably normally invest in to get their income. Would you say that these types of investments, a master limited partnership, a REIT, that on the risk reward scale, that that would be a less risky strategy than using high yield bonds anyway, even though you're, I mean, you're cranking out a bigger, a much bigger yield, but I think the risk is also lower. Is that true or not? I'm not sure you could say that the risk is lower. I think that it will be very specific to the individual security. In other words, look at a REIT, for example, take a REIT that we would own in HIPS. REITs are something that you know most people be aware got badly affected by the coronavirus. Sure, and you know real estate as a sector is a sector that has has struggled and and probably will continue to struggle as we talked about at the very beginning of this show. On the fixed income side, you just have a slightly different exposure. So you'll have bonds um, that will be issued by potentially real estate companies or other things in that field. So. You're kind of looking at different angles, but I think for for HIPS, you know, the main risk, like any fund, is that of you know the underlying market, you know, the value of the uh, the underlying securities falling. So, how do you then with REITs? Because you nailed you nailed my next question, Will. With all the fallout in real estate, how do you avoid the fallout? Well, the objective is from from HIPS perspective is we replicate an index, and that index has a set of rules. So we're not an active manager in the sense that we're not trying to select securities based upon our perception that that company is a good or bad company. Um, What we try and do is we try and screen for yield and also volatility. In other words, we want to try and select securities that have highest amount of yield, but yet the lowest amount of volatility. And so when you kind of blend those together in the portfolio, that's how we're able to achieve that high level of income. But Something like real estate, um, we definitely saw you know, earlier on this year, certainly in March, there were, I think, about five securities that were affected you know, in the portfolio where there were concerns about these REITs not being able to make uh, their dividend payments, their distribution payments, or indeed um, threats of even canceling distribution payments. So that was something that was very real in the portfolio. But we were still able to generate enough cash flow to meet the distribution. So even in the even in the crisis or even in the the darkest days of March, 
we still had enough cash being generated uh, in order to make the distribution that we make every month. I have one question there specifically about HIPS, which is, you know, the S&P 500 is an example that we talked about before. It really a self-cleaning index, right? Something is not one of those 500 biggest companies anymore. S&P 500 takes it out. So me as a retail investor, I don't have to worry about that. I'm always going to have these 500 companies. If you have these companies that are struggling, if they continue to struggle, I would, I would guess then, is HIPS also a self-cleaning index? Yeah, in, in that respect, there's a rebalance. The index reconstitutes on the basis of the rules that are set. So if a company you know, fails to meet the, the rules that are set, then it can be or it will be screened out. And then my second question was around something you said about lowest volatility and, 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 and highest yield. When I was a financial planner back in the day, Will, well, you can imagine this. There wasn't a client alive that didn't want that, right? How do I get the biggest thing ever and the least amount of risk possible? How do you combine those two factors that are so seem to me so diametrically opposed? Yeah, so the way that we do that is we try and equally weight the sectors, first of all, in terms of the four sectors that we pick securities from. And then we run a thing called a minimum variance optimizer, which is basically a risk management tool, a volatility control to try and screen for stocks or try and get the lowest volatility possible out of those securities. Let's transition over to uh, master limited partnerships, because this is, to me, a fascinating asset class. You don't see a lot of uh, people that listen to this show probably even know what those are. Can you explain how a master limited partnership works and why it's in your portfolio? Yeah, so it's another sector of the pass-through world. So typically, master limited partnerships are most commonly uh, seen in the energy infrastructure space. So in other words, it would be you know natural gas or oil pipelines, things of that nature. And they're infrastructure assets, effectively, for the energy space. And so because of that, I would imagine then, because they're infrastructure you don't see much growth on the share price or change in the share price. It just throws off all of the income it makes. That's right. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so obviously from a, they're, they're not really growth investments in the, in the traditional sense. They're much more designed to be tax efficient um, and designed to be income payers. And so that's why, you know, a strategy like hips will own something like master limited partnerships. It also provides a different level of, exposure, risk exposure, I mean, coming back again to risk is that the drivers of those securities are fundamentally different to the drivers of real estate. So for example, master limited partnerships will have more in common, more correlation with what the oil price is doing than say interest rates, for example, or other factors that will drive other areas of the portfolio. Gotcha. And then MLPs, is there an issue of holding those inside of an IRA because of the way that they pass through, because of the way those dividends pass through? Um, I'm not familiar with that, Joe, but um, I think the, the one thing that we hear consistently about MLPs is that if you hold MLPs directly, then you get a K-1 distribution. Yeah. Um, and that's because they're partnerships typically. Yeah. And so by putting it in the fund and having it in the way that we do, that doesn't generate a K-1 for people. So investors gotcha. of the ETF 
can get the exposure to the MLPs, but they don't get a K1 distribution, which a lot of advisors like. Nice job, Mr. Ryan. You answered the question I should have asked, which was which was around around the K1, because as you know, that can be that can be a real pain for people. And then let's talk lastly about the third factor that you have in HIPS to generate income, because I think these are fascinating for most of our listeners, and that's closed-end funds. How does a closed-end fund work? Yeah, so closed-end funds, in many ways, they're somewhat similar to ETFs in the sense that they are funds that are listed and traded on a stock exchange. The, the major difference, uh, and the clue is in the name, the closed-end part means that they cannot create or they cannot issue new shares in the same way as an open-ended fund like an ETF or even a traditional mutual fund. So once the amount of share capital has been listed, it's like a regular company in that those shares get traded and you cannot increase the size of the fund um, from there like an open-end fund. Are there any real exceptions or issues with closed-end funds that people should know about? The major thing is because of the closed-ended nature, what that does is creates a share price that could trade at either a premium or a discount to the net asset value of the fund's assets. That's really the key differential. So the whole point with an ETF is that ETFs typically don't trade at a premium or a discount. And the reason that they don't do that is because market makers or arbitrageurs in the market are able to take advantage of the difference between the ETF shares and the value of the underlying, and they can swap those around if there's money to be made or they're out of step. Whereas a closed-end fund, you can't do that. You either just have to buy the shares, and the shares are either trading at a discount or a premium. I want to ask last about just HIPS in, uh, specifically and, and volatility. I know, and obviously you know because it's your fun. In March, like a lot of investments, it went right off a cliff. It has been steadily, the share price has kind of steadily been rebounding. Talk to me about volatility in HIPS. Under what type of market conditions uh, we see a lot of volatility from a strategy like this versus uh, other types of investments? Well, the first thing is that um, because of the high level of income, you know, there's obviously there's no free lunch in this world. And the high level of income means that it does have more sensitivity to things like interest rates. But the the major thing that happened in March was this was just a market crash that affected yeah, everything. Everywhere. So it, it doesn't matter or it didn't matter whether you were in high yield bonds or whether you were in dividend paying stocks, all of those ETF or all those underlying investments kind of crashed at the same time. Once the, a crash or once the kind of big dislocation event like that subsides, it will then be much more about what's the composition of the underlying. And so the things that will affect HIPS, for example, are if it's REIT part of the portfolio, it'll be mortgage REITs and what's happening with, with mortgages, uh, what's happening with interest rates, um, if it's MLPs, what's happening to the oil price? If it's you know business development companies, um, what's happening to interest rates and affecting their ability to lend? And then obviously closed-end funds will depend on on the strategy. Um, but the volatility will be defined by the assets that the fund holds and their risk exposures or their exposures to different parts of the economy um, within there that will be more or less sensitive to certain events. You guys, obviously, it's an ETF. So because of that, you're not actively trying to beat markets, which we have a strong appreciation for here. 
But if you put on your, 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 your crystal ball or you get your crystal ball in front of you, Will, uh, just from your experience, where do you think this thing's headed next? What happened with hips, the performance, obviously, like everything else, you know, was affected badly during the crisis. But, you know, it's climbed the wall of worry, so to speak, afterwards. And the share price has increased um, fairly significantly since then. And, you know, in, in ordinary times, the product has actually generated pretty good performance over the last few years. Yeah. And of course, really what it's designed to do is distribute a high level of income on a consistent basis. So, you know, just simply put, there aren't many strategies, ways to generate 10% income yeah. in the market. And, you know, that's really for folks that are looking for income, you know, that's what it's primarily designed to do. And actually, and thank you for that. I, I should have been more specific. I wasn't talking about hips specifically. I'm talking about this marketplace in general. Do you think there's another ah. shoe that's going to drop? Do you think that, that uh, we're going to see volatility around the election? Put on that tinfoil hat if, if you yeah, want. I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, it's very difficult to predict, as you know. I think, though, that we have to go back again to the lessons of the past I think as a guide to what's happening, because you know, the most common thing that people will ask is they'll question, you know, how can we have a stock market that is um, approaching or almost at its all time high when we have, you know, kind of record unemployment and we have, you know, a global pandemic. I think people don't necessarily understand the impact of all of the government stimulus, um, the Federal Reserve stimulus that's pumped into the economy. And that was really a lesson from the financial crisis that, you know, people are saying the same thing after the financial crisis, where you had you know the stock market continue to rise, and people were wondering how can this happen? You know the economy is just is terrible, um, but all these stimulus programs really help fuel the stock market. So I think providing that you know we're seeing more money printing from the Federal Reserve, I think the stock market can continue uh, on the track that it's been is going, and that's certainly been the lesson of the last ten years. Yeah, yeah. Will, it's an exciting time, and I'm I'm very glad that you could talk talk about some of uh, these fascinating ways that people find yield in a portfolio. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Hey, trivia aficionados, it's your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and you know, after we left Arizona and headed to Texas, we all settled in at OG's house, and I guess I never noticed, but Joe isn't here anymore. In fact, I've been sending him these emails with my sound files every day, but I finally realized he's not coming back. So now I'm trying to figure out where he went and where the hell OG keeps going. I know he left a note here somewhere telling me where he is, but I can't seem to find it. While I start plotting my triumphant return with Joe and more importantly, Joe's mom and those awesome chocolate chip cookies, I'll let you ponder today's trivia. On this date in 2008, Michael Phelps won his final gold medal in the Beijing Summer Olympics. That gold medal also happened to be a record number for any single Olympic Games. So the question is, how many gold medals did he win in 2008? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can do a cannonball. Cannonball! I don't know if you've seen this, OG, but the face of student loans are changing. Good luck keeping track of them all. It is crazy how much things are changing in student loan world. 
And while that is hopefully good news for borrowers, this is the one time when you really want to keep up. You know how you try to make sure you don't keep up with all the daily drama going on out of Washington? You really need to keep up. And if you want to stay away from the drama and just get down to what matters, head to studentloanhero.com. If Whether you're ready to pay off your student loans or you're going to need some help, they are there to help get your custom repayment plan today. See how you can lower interest rates, decrease monthly payments, find forgiveness, whether it's about refinancing, lower payments, the current things going on in Washington, forgiveness, it's all at Student Loan Hero. And if you're ready to begin your journey or you're just about at the time when you have to start paying, there are prepayment calculators, refinancing calculators, public service loan forgiveness calculators, income-based repayment calculators, monthly payment calculators, deferment calculators, and interest deduction calculators, among more. Quizzes you can take, must-read articles, it's all there. Studentloanhero.com. That's studentloanhero.com. Hey, stackers, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. You know, the good news is I found the note where Joe said he's going. Uh, Here's what he said. Hey, bud. Yeah, right, because you just leave your buds behind, Joe. Anyway, hey, bud, we're heading out, and we're going to be hanging out in the Freedom and Unity State for a month. Feel free to stop by our Airbnb. Aha! The Freedom and Unity State? That must be right here in Texas, right? Texans are all about freedom. That guy must be going back to Texarkana. It's time for a road trip. If I make good time, I can even stop by Bucky's Truck Stop and maybe grab some In-N-Out Burger. While I go pack my things, let's get back to today's trivia. Question was, how many gold medals did Michael Phelps win in the 2008 Beijing Olympics, earning him the most ever gold medals in a single Olympic Games? If you guessed the number eight, you'd be right. That guy Mike can really swim. Time to get packing. See ya. Close, man. You got what the record had been at seven. That was fun. I remember those Olympics, you know, because you're rooting them on. 28 total medals. I remember I was on a plane and I don't remember which Olympics it was. And somebody will know out there, but it was the U.S. battling the French team. And I think it was the four by 100. And, you know, and I'm watching it live on the seat back and the plane is just beginning its descent. I remember. And, uh, during the second leg and you can, you can kind of hear something. I realize now that it was everybody on the plane, like, yeah, stop talking, (laughs) stop talking, Mr. Pilot. We're watching this thing. And I don't know if you remember, but, but I think it, man, was it Ryan Lochte? Uh, who just out-touched, or was it Phelps? I think Phelps led off. I think it was Ryan Lochte, but 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 somebody just out-touched the French person. And it was amazing. I didn't realize how many people around the plane were watching it. The whole plane, like this whole 737 or whatever the hell it was, the whole plane goes berserk. It was so <laughs> cool. I've never had that happen before where I felt like this group of 150 people, we were all watching the same thing. Really, really neat. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life, the reason why we asked them to sponsor the show is because of the fact that uh, OG and I both have helped people fill out life insurance forms before, and they are long and painful. And the first thing that Jerome Benzi and his team at Haven Life did was said, how can we make this better so you can spend more time 
doing other things and get the insurance that you need much, much quicker. You can check it out yourself by going to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Now for a free quote, you will see firsthand how simple the application is. It's all online. You get an instant coverage decision, affordable prices, and best yet, they're backed by an over 160-year-old insurer, Mass Mutual. Innovative and there for you, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. And today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Derek. Say hi, Derek. Hey, Joe and OG. Big fan of the show since I don't like learning or hearing about financial topics. I have a question about health insurance and a new job. I currently have a plan through the open market with a subsidy to help with the premiums. I got the insurance while at my old job that did not offer health insurance, but I have a new work-from-home job that does offer health insurance. What kind of impact will this have on my subsidy, and would it be best to just get health insurance from my new employer, even though it doesn't seem as good as my current one? I hope you bought a portable oven for your mom's cookies with all that moving around you're doing. When you get a chance, please thank Mr. Len Penzo for inspiring me to build a bunker deep underground made of gold bars with enough room for me and Doug's El Camino. I'm a size XL. Thanks. <laughs> See ya. Uh, the definition of over the top gets yep. gets even bigger. And by the way, peeps, you you do not have to you do not have to be over the top about it. You can just call in and ask a question. I mean, call me crazy. You can call in. You can ask an easy question. If your device has any type of microphone on it, like your phone does or your computer does, stackybedjamins.com forward slash voicemail. But Derek uh, bringing it with that call. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for the question, Derek. So new insurance or old insurance, OG? I have absolutely no idea what to tell him. This is an interesting question because there's a couple of components to it. One is the coverage benefits. Right. Like yeah. Said, it doesn't seem to be as good. Yeah. That's the big um, thing is how much worse is it was my question. Like I really yeah. need to line up the features against each other, the benefits against right. each other so I can see apples and apples. Yeah. And generally speaking, although it's not entirely the case all the time now, you know, your employer sponsors some of that health insurance cost. So generally speaking, that health insurance cost is going to be a little, a little bit lower, you know, because it's a group plan and so on and so forth. But if the coverage is much worse, you don't necessarily want the cheapest option. You want the, the most value, basically. And so the most value may come with a higher price. But then if you layer into that decision, the premium tax credits that you get from the IRS to help offset the premium costs through the um, healthcare.gov website, you know, that's quite the conundrum. You know, I think that um, there's some intricate rules here, but generally speaking, when you have access to a workplace plan uh, that makes you ineligible for other credits, you know, the premium tax credits, because generally that cost is, is okay, according to the government. So I don't think that you get the premium tax credits anymore once you have access to the workplace plan. Which is so why I think generally, OG, I don't know about you, I generally skew toward the workplace plan for that reason. Yeah. I mean, and depending on where your company is, and how dispersed the group is, you know, you might be kind of comparing apples to oranges. You know, you may, if you work for a national organization, you might have a national healthcare plan that, you know, is, is designed for people that live in Washington versus people that live in Florida. And it's a big plan, whereas your healthcare.gov plan is much more regional and local. So there can be some benefits to that as well. But I think you'd have to start out by looking at it from the, from the features and benefits, you know, pages 
and find out exactly what the, what the major difference is. I'll tell you, it wouldn't be surprising if one of the major differences is one is a high deductible plan and one is not, you know, maybe your healthcare.gov plan is not a high deductible plan, but this one is, in which case you might look at that from the perspective of, you know, you get the opportunity to contribute to an HSA now, uh, with the workplace plan. So I think we need more information here, but I'm pretty sure you lose the premium tax credits out the gate. So that may just force your hand automatically. Well, I think you also gave Derek and everybody else, OG, a good way to think about it. I think it's less about the answer than how do I evaluate these two plans, line up not just the features and benefits, but also the ability to contribute to an HSA, which for a lot of people, if you, especially if you have uh, the cash flow to do it, is a great option. And then um, finally, the tax implications there. Thanks for the question, Derek. You have a question for us. Very, very simple. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And uh, just like Derek was brave and sent us a question, you too can get a uh, t-shirt from mom's friend Gertrude, greatest money show on earth t-shirt, which is one of my favorites. If you want to take a look at all the designs, by the way, that our friend uh, Brad makes for us, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash shirts. All right, that's going to do it for today. Two quick things before we say goodbye. First of all, big thanks to everybody who's taken the time to leave us a review of this show or to tell a friend about us. It's always great when we hear that my friend so-and-so told me that I had to listen because they like the show so much. That's always really cool. And then the second thing is if you're somebody that needs better financial help in your corner and you haven't done Anything this year, like a lot of people, maybe been a little bit paralyzed, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG. And that's the link to interface with OG and his team and see if maybe better financial planning help in your corner is what can help you turn the year around and make a future so bright you've got to wear shades. And I just I just coined that, OG. <laughs> TM. <laughs> How long is the restriction on that? I actually think it's like the 19th. 30s or something. So might already be TM. Who knows? Anyway, that's it. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash OG. All right, Doug, uh, we didn't say where we are, by the way, did we today? Good. Fantastic. Connecticut. You said you're in Connecticut. That's right. Connecticut, Doug. We're in Connecticut. Hiding from the law. What? <laughs> Frank. Because they're after me now. Yeah. Is. He, he tracked your phone. That's all they needed to do. Frank gave me his badge number. That's scary. Yeah. I didn't know scammers had badge numbers, by the way. Who knew? Might be real. All right, Doug. What should we have learned today, man? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headlines. No matter what bank you're with, but especially Wells Fargo, check out information regularly and make sure everything is right. Second, take a lesson from Will Rind. A high-yield fund might seem too good to be true, but there are lots of investments designed for income. Remember this, though. Investing is about income or growth. The more you find of one, the less of the other you're bound to find. But the big takeaway? Don't ever ruin a good surprise. I could just text Joe and ask him where he is, but what fun would that be when I can just show up on his Airbnb doorstep in good old Texarkana, huh? A big thanks to Will Ryan for coming down to the basement and discussing high-yield securities and the little yellow metal with us. 
You can find out more about Will at GraniteShares.com. We'll also have a link to his website on our show notes page at StackingBenjamins.com. This show is created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I do not like computer jokes, not one bit. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. So I was uh, working on a project a couple days ago, and for that project, I, I I needed I needed an analogy to a movie. So I went to Rotten Tomatoes top twenty films of all time, and they're kind of skewed toward films today. So it's going to change fairly regularly. But there was one film in the top twenty I'd never heard of before. So I asked Cheryl if uh, she could find it. And sure enough, it was on Amazon Prime. So this last week, I saw the first movie I've seen in a long time. This is a film called Eighth Grade. Hey guys, uh, it's Kayla back with another video. So the topic of today's video is being yourself. Being yourself can be hard. And it's like, aren't I always being myself? And yeah, for sure. But being yourself is like not changing yourself to impress someone else. A lot of people like call me quiet or shy or whatever, but I'm not quiet. Most quiet, Taylor Day. I don't talk a lot at school, but if people talk to me and stuff, they'd find out that I'm like really funny and cool and talkative. By the way, I like your shirt a lot. It's like so cool. What? said one more week of eighth grade, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, huh? That's the great conversation she has with her dad. Hey, that's crazy. Yeah. Sounds like conversations with my eighth grader. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is this is not a movie that's, uh, that I I thought initially when we started watching it was made for me a story about a girl who is having a hell of a time with everything eighth grade. Now I'm a guy that had a hell of a time in seventh grade just absolutely despised everything about seventh grade. So from that perspective, 
being a kid struggling with middle school, this really talked to me, but you know, she's on Instagram all day. She's following all of her friends. She's everybody in the whole school is on their phone. I don't know what school she goes to, but they haven't outlawed the phones at school because everyone's head is down all the time. But I have to tell you as a dad, man, did this, this movie resonate with me. Her dad played uh, fantastic. Well, first of all, the girl who's the eighth grader and who's really struggling, that's played by a young woman named Elsie Fisher. And her dad, who I, I completely felt for the entire time. Like, how can you be a parent of a kid who is struggling this much? Like, there is one point in the movie where she says to her dad, this has got to be horrible, having a daughter like me. And oh my God, is it just a gut punch? It's just a complete gut punch. So this is a movie that I didn't think that I would have liked if you, and, and frankly, I probably missed it because of the fact that it's about some eighth grade girl. One of the best movies I've seen. And I don't know if it's a fact that I haven't seen a movie in a long time, but, uh, but, but man, it's like that. Remember that old Eddie Murphy joke when you haven't had a cracker in a long time, everything tastes like a Ritz. Like, mm, is this a Ritz cracker? Mm. So I haven't, I haven't seen a movie in forever. Uh, so maybe, maybe, but, uh, but man, did I like it. Eighth grade, big thumb up. How many explosions? Let me think. They they do a cannonball into the pool. Huh? Like a real cannonball or like a person? Like a person. Somebody shot out of a cannon? No, no. I would qualify. Yeah, there's yeah, there's none of that. Okay. Um, there's I'll not read even the a synopsis on. There's there's a lot of zits in the movie, but there's no zit pop. That'd be like a cannon pop, but there's none of none of that. Huh? Great. No. Cool. Well. Um, yeah. No, it's great for other people. Yeah, I can definitively say, dude, not for you. Mrs. OG will love it. So if you happen to be, but who knows, man. But I surprised you with the crown. You did. You did. And I think if somebody actually sat you down and watched this with you, uh, you would, uh, you'd think highly of it. Great film. I could see why it was on the, on the top 20. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is, Military Appreciation Month, and I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.